We're, we're in Foundations for Worship and um, as uh, James said, doing two things at once really, baptism in water, believer's baptism and baptism in Holy Spirit. Um, that's because we've got speakers coming and, and things have got a little bit squashed together, but it's so appropriate because today is Pentecost. Hallelujah. Well, we love it. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, yeah, whoa, we're, we're fine. We're fine. It's working, Alec. It's good. <laughs> now, a, a few weeks, a uh, few weeks, perhaps maybe a few months ago, I actually spoke on believers' baptism and gave you four basic reasons why you should be baptised if you haven't been, or, or why you were baptised. And I just want to go through those very quickly because it lays a foundation for what I'm going to say this morning. It's a command to obey. Jesus said, "Go into all the world, preach the gospel." He said, uh, baptizing people. So it actually, it's a direct command of Jesus that we are baptized. That's uh, something that we do because we want to obey him and follow him. It's an example to follow. This is a powerful reason for those who perhaps haven't been baptized as a believer and, and it, you know, been Christian some time because Jesus was baptized. He didn't have to be, but he was because he identified with us in that. See, it's an act of commitment. As we are baptised, we are saying to the Lord Jesus, we're committed to you. And actually, it's not only that sort of commitment, it's actually a commitment to the body of Christ. That's why baptisms are public, and we're saying, I belong to you, and the people who are watching are saying, you belong to us. It's a double commitment in that way. And it's an act of witness. We're saying, now I'm following Jesus and I want the world to know that. That's, that's the one thing that's not explicitly uh, spelled out in the New Testament, but it is absolutely true. We're witnessing to our faith in Jesus. Four essential basic reasons for being baptised. Let's move on. There's a lot more to say about believers' baptism, and I'm not going to say it all this morning by any means. But we have this scripture from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. I'm going to look at two passages this morning, and this is the first one, where Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we too may live a new life now let's be clear baptism is not the subject of this passage Paul is talking about living a new life for Jesus so if baptism is not the subject, nevertheless, he uses baptism as an illustration of what he's talking about. And there are those who say, oh, well, it, it doesn't mean water baptism at all. I actually think that's silly because if the Roman Christians who received this letter saw the word baptism, you'd think immediately of being baptised. So Paul is using baptism 
to illustrate the change in life that becoming a follower of Jesus brings about. And he makes a number of points. But overall, it's this. That believer's baptism, and please note I am using the term believer's baptism. I know people talk about water baptism or total immersion baptism, but actually the main thing in the scriptures is it's for believers. Repent and be baptised, said Peter on the day of Pentecost. If you believe... So believers' baptism is a dramatic representation of the gospel, of the good news. Now let's, let's think about that. In baptism, we actually see the heart or the centre of the gospel. Someone goes into the water. They're plunged beneath the water and that person rises up out of the water. What does that remind you of? Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again from the dead. Just as the believer buried under the water and rises up out of the water. So that's a dramatic illustration of what Jesus did for us. What he did for you. What he did for me. And so we are, we are led to the heart of the good news in believers' baptism. Is it any wonder that many people are impacted by the Spirit and, and trust Jesus when they see a baptism? It's right at the heart of who we are. Secondly, Paul says we are united with Christ. Now, that has happened when we are born again, when, when we trust Jesus. But in baptism, Paul says, we are buried with him. And then we rise with him. There is this union with Jesus that is in baptism. It's by faith. These things are not automatic. But it's as if Father, God the Father, looks at the person who is being buried under the water and says, that person was crucified with my son. That person died with my son. And then, Father sees us rising out of the water. He says, that person is now alive in my son. Now, that may have already have happened. I mean, it will have happened. Because that person has believed. But baptism shows that wonderful union with Jesus and actually it's the testimony of so many people that when they are baptised they say 
Jesus was very close to me at that point. Of course, there is that union with him which baptism seals in our experience. But baptism is also a promise. Yes, I have a new life. I now promise to live that out. Not only is the person buried under the water, as we keep saying, but of course rises out of the water. That's not the end, that's the beginning. That's the new life that we're going to lead for Jesus. And so the person says, this is what I'm committed to. This is what I'm going to be. I'm living a new life for Jesus. The baptised life, if you like, starts now. And I'm going to live for him. So we're promising that in baptism. You, you, may, you may look back on your, on your baptism and say, I, I didn't realise all that at the time. I didn't. I tell you, my baptism means more to me now than it did at the time. Because I've learned so much about it. And experienced more of it. And then, finally, in baptism, we have the assurance of victory over death. Because, what does Paul say? We're buried with him, and baptism is that sort of pledge, that visible demonstration that one day we will literally rise with him. We will share in a resurrection like his. Because Jesus, as Paul says in another place, is the first fruit. He's but the first one who's going to rise from the dead. And he says in another place, the trumpet of God sounds, what happens? The dead in Christ rise. And that's what baptism promises. Physically, it sort of embeds it into us. I'm buried, but one day I'm going to live with Jesus forever. I'm going to rise. I'm not going to be some disembodied thing that is in heaven, but I'm actually going to have a new body. This body is the seed, says Paul, and we'll have a new body. That's the promise that's there. An assurance. So it has, baptism looks backward to what's happened to us, it looks to the present, I'm living a new life, and it looks to the future. This is what will happen. So in a sense, you see, when we say we worship in truth, baptism sort of encompasses the basic truth that we worship in. Fantastic. I, I am, I'm so <laughs> enthusiastic for this. Because I think it's so important that we realise that. For... We worship in truth, but there's more. There's more. Let's move on to 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 12 and 13. <laughs> Complicated verses. I'm not going to spend time on, on picking it to pieces, but let's see what Paul is teaching here. 
Paul is talking about the distribution of gifts, the Holy Spirit is giving gifts, and then he says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts are one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by, in one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. We were all baptized, why have I put by or in? Maybe your translation says by, I don't think that's right. I believe the word should be in. Nowhere else in the Bible does the spirit do the baptizing. Jesus came and said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist promised that. He said, one is coming after me who is mightier than I. I baptize with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word is just as much in as by. And I believe in the context of the whole Bible, the whole New Testament, the word should be in. The Spirit is always what we're baptized into rather than the Spirit doing the baptizing. That's a bit of technical stuff. If you followed it, amen. If you didn't, we're moving on. (laughs) Okay. So, this is fantastic. So, believer's baptism then is a dramatic representation of being baptized in the Spirit. This is adding a new dimension to it. Now, I could go theologically a little bit more, not going to this morning. Let's leave it at that. A dramatic representation of being baptized in the Spirit. Because in baptism, as I keep saying, we are immersed in water. The word baptism, of course, in the, in the New Testament is a transliteration, oopsie, a transliteration of the word baptizo. You know, the original translators, including King James translators, came to the word baptism, or baptizo, and said, well, what, are we gonna, what English word are we going to use for that? And they, they pondered about it, and then they said, oh, I don't know, we don't know, let's, let's put that Greek word into English. So the word baptism came about. But in Greek, what does it mean? To immerse, to plunge. Hang on, folks. It can actually mean to drown. But we hope that never happens in believers' baptism. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what it can mean. But the translator said, no. Let's use the word baptism baptize and that's how it's got into our language so in baptism we are immersed we are saturated we are plunged we are in a sense almost drowned in water but that is what Jesus wants to do or does with us in the spirit he immerses us in the Holy Spirit to come back to what John Baptist said about Jesus. He will baptize 
in the Holy Spirit. And of course in fire. Holiness as well. That's what Jesus does. Now I want to put this to you. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he didn't suddenly stop and say, oh by the way, I better explain to you what baptism in the Spirit is. You know, maybe that's a term that's unfamiliar to you, so I, I, better, I better explain to you that this, this, this and this happened. No, he just moved on. Why? Because I believe this, that for the Corinthian Christians, baptism in the Spirit was a definite, knowable event. Bringing, as Paul said, diversity all the different gifts and ministries, bringing diversity into unity. And then enabling dynamic, multi-gifted gatherings. When the Christians met together in Corinth, they didn't all sit passively and just watch what was going on at the front. The Holy Spirit distributed gifts, as he wanted, because he's sovereign here, so that the whole body could participate in what was going on. Now, I think we've said before, the larger that gets, the more complex that becomes. We can't go into that this morning, but that was the principle. That the Spirit gave all sorts of gifts. Might be a prophetic word, it might be a tongue, it might be an interpretation. Those two go together, of course. Might be a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, might, might be some exercise of faith, might be a gift of healing or discerning what was going on. But the, the Holy Spirit would give gifts. And the unifying factor of that was that the the Corinthian Christians had been baptised in the Spirit. They knew. They knew it. They didn't have to be told it. They knew it. So, here is the big question. Oh, what's coming? Right. Are we automatically baptised in the Spirit when we become a Christian? Or is baptism in the Spirit distinct from being born again? <laughs> Over this side are the traditional Pentecostals. <laughs> well, I don't know if you are. But anyway, so they, they say it's a distinct experience after being born again and you wait for what is sometimes called the second blessing and when you wait and then God will fill you with the spirit and you'll get you'll get gifts of the spirit given to you and some Pentecostals say that has to include speaking in tongues and others say no it doesn't aren't we good at agreeing with each other <laughs> <laughs> so over this side but, oh no. <laughs> I need the exercise, folks. <laughs> uh, 
Over this side, mainstream evangelical. No, 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 no. The Bible clearly teaches that you get it all at once. And yes, we've all got gifts. Probably not many of those that are in 1 Corinthians 12, but we've all got gifts. And so you get the two extremes. And then you're bursting to know, well, perhaps you're not, but you're still going to be told. What, <laughs> <laughs> what do I think? <laughs> you know, you cannot be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. What is the thing that distinguishes you and me from the world out there? Not that you do good works. Plenty of them do. Not that you sing Christian songs. If you listen carefully to what's going on this weekend, so do a lot of other people sing songs that have a sort of Christian flavour. No. They may make us at times look a, a bit different, but what distinguishes you from everyone else? You have the Holy Spirit within you. They don't. That's putting it a bit starkly, isn't it? But it's true. We have the Spirit. We cannot be a Christian unless we have the Spirit. So, on the one hand, I'm over here. Ah, but on the other hand, I'm over here. Because I think, that's true, but have I entered into it? When the Corinthians became Christians, I am absolutely sure they knew it. And they knew the outpouring of the Spirit on their lives. Repent, says Peter, on the day of Pentecost, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You'll know it. And when I became a Christian, I didn't know it. And it was some time afterwards that I caught up with it. And the Holy Spirit graciously began to give gifts. So, do you remember these? They're checks. Do you know, I looked through my checkbook. I wrote one check last year. Just one. In 2020, I wrote two. Oh, but it was to the same place. <laughs> and the one before that was in 2017. But what is a cheque? Well, somebody gives you a cheque. Having said that, you can happily give me a cheque. I don't mind. <laughs> but it's, it's worthless unless you cash it. You can, that can be placed into your hand and you think, yeah, I've got this amount of money. But unless I cash it, I haven't got the money. And I believe God says to us, I've given you the fullness of the Spirit, but I want you, understand, to cash it.
I want you to enter in to what I've promised you can have. And I believe that many of us don't do that. Really. If you like, the check of the Holy Spirit is still in our wallet and we've never cashed it and entered into all that God can give us. So have you cashed the check? God wants to do so much with us. Today is the day of Pentecost. And, you know, a day is a day. But what a useful day to think that God can do this by his spirit. And you know he'll never give you a gift that you won't love and enjoy. People say, oh, I don't want to speak in tongues, it's weird. I tell you, when you do, it isn't. It's the most natural thing to be able to worship God in a heavenly language or an earthly one. Or, prof or the, the prophetic. Oh, I couldn't do that. No, you can't. But God by the Spirit can. He can, he can give that through you. And what the Spirit wants to do is to empower us, to make real in our lives what, he, what he want, he's done already, in a sense we need to enter in to what is ours by right, our birthright. And he'll make that such a wonderful unity a blend together in the body of Christ. So personally, have you cashed the check? Have you been to Jesus and said, this is what I know you can do for me. Make it real. Make it real. If it seems like a second blessing, hallelujah. It can be the third, the fourth, the fifth, the umpteenth. But if it becomes real, Biblically real. And so that's what your believer's baptism promised. Your believer's baptism said to you, you don't have to do this on your own efforts. But there's the fullness of the Spirit to empower you and help you. This is worshipping in the Spirit. He's there. Every other religion depends on a man or a woman's effort. Jesus promised something different. You'll have the Spirit to empower you and help you. Yes, there's witness and all the rest of it involved. But in this context, there's the Spirit to give you whatever gift you need within the body of Christ to help you praise and worship and minister, prophesy, proclaim, whatever. It's the work of the Spirit. And I think, is, is the check that I've got still in the drawer? Or have I cashed the check and then the money's run out? Just to keep the illustration going. Somebody wisely said that if you read the New Testament, read the book of Acts, and if you read Paul's letters, one baptism in the Spirit, many fillings. 
You remember the earliest Christians filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then back, then that's in chapter 2. Then in chapter 4 of Acts, what happened? They're filled again. Must have been an amazing thing because the room shook. God, do it here. Lord, do it here. You know, in one of the Ukraine early morning prayer meetings, somebody said, and I I don't know who said it, it was sort of an off-the-cuff remark, said, God, we seem to have everything but the Spirit. Now, in partly I disagree with that, partly I do, because we couldn't do what we're doing without the Spirit's help. But I do so agree with the sentiment behind that. You know, we can have the best building. God, we want the best building. We can have the best program. We can have the best musicians. Thank you. We can have the best house groups. We can have the best barbecues. We can have the best system. But without the Spirit, that's all there'll be. We need His dynamic. We need His power. We need His grace. We need His supernatural love. You know, we need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. God, we want the best. Praise God for everybody who does everything. It's fantastic here. But the best is not good enough. Not without the anointing of the Spirit. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Only He can. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God, come and fall on us again. Come and fall, we're talking about worship, come and fall on our worship again. So that we flow in praise and worship and adoration, in gift and ministry, in exultant, exuberant, I'm almost saying ear-piercing praise and in awesome, holy, reverent silence. And everything else in between. So that our mission is powerful and relevant, anointed. God, we need you. I need him. We need him. Thank God. Thank God for what he's done. But as a former elder used to say to me, not in this church, but many years ago, yesterday's manner is no good for today.
the Israelites had to go and collect it every day except Sabbath. And we need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. Let's just wait before God for a moment. I just feel I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to ask anybody out at the moment for prayer, but just where you are in your seat, let's do business with God. Only, only you personally and only I, me, me personally, we know where we are with him. Nothing can be hidden from him. He knows our hopes, our dreams. He knows our faults, our failings. Thank God he accepts us. Good job he does. But he accepts us so that he can change us. Now let's just wait before him. God gives you anything, please. Let's be free. But we're not going to hassle for that. We're going to say, Spirit of the living God, fall on me, deal with me, deal with us. If you find it helpful just to just open your hands to him as a symbol of receiving, then that's fine. If you want to kneel, why not? If you want to stand, why not? If you want to lean back and relax and soak in his presence, why not? Whatever's right for you. Now let's just quietly sing together. We don't need the words. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Fill 
let's sing that again. And if you're near someone, why not just join hands or lay a hand on the shoulder or whatever? You don't have to. It's just a suggestion. But let's sing, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. thank you that you hear us in our cry but more than that Lord we thank you that you're a God who answers and we pray oh God in these days that you will come and anoint us afresh that we will know a new anointing of your spirit a fresh touch from heaven a new empowering that will lead us out into the community here in Beckles and wherever we live but Lord, anoint us, fill us, baptize us, fill us, Lord, again with your Spirit so that Jesus, your Son, our Saviour, may be honoured and glorified and praised all the more in his name. Amen.